You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since All right, everybody, welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We are back for another glorious week of movies, films, things you watch. Um, films? Yes, things you watch. Video. Oh, I thought we were doing uh, $65,000 pyramid. No, 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 no. No, we're not doing that. Man, I did like that show a lot when I was a kid. Oh, I love it. I did. I really did. Uh, I think it was the anticipation and the way that they would uh, kind of flip those tiles I around. I waited for Burt Convy every week. Oh, yeah. Big Burt Convy guy myself as well. Right? I may have went and seen Cannibal Run because of Burt Convy. Exactly. That's not true at all. But anyway. It should be. But it should be. <laughs> it should be. Uh, this week, we got a couple doozies for you. Uh, we're going to be doing John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness from 1994. Uh, which uh, is the first time I've seen this in quite a while. It's been a long, long time. Yeah, and then we're going to be doing uh, Face Off from uh, 1997, directed by John Woo. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, This is one that I haven't seen since 1997, so it was an interesting rewatch, and we'll kind of get into that. Mm -hmm. Um, But those are uh, the films we're covering this week. Little John Woo, little John Carpenter, little John John, little John Double John action. Little John John, yeah. Little John John. <laughs> Sounds like uh, some kind of nickname for something or something. I like. have a friend that we uh, call John John. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I have a few friends that call something else that uh, <laughs> names like that. I won't say it because it'll give away something on, on the air. <laughs> um, so we don't really have a whole lot to talk about. So just full foreclosure or disclosure, not foreclosure. That'd be yeah, another no, problem. Don't shut us down yet. Yeah, yeah. Full disclosure and possible foreclosure. Um, we're recording a bunch of episodes back to back to back because I'll be out of town and I won't be able to record because I'll be gone for a while. So uh, trying to get as much stuff recorded as possible to keep the weekly schedule going. So we're kind of recording everything as much as possible. You'll, you'll, so there's not a lot to talk about. I will. Uh, we don't have any voicemail this week because, well, we haven't released last week's episode yet as I'm recording this, but... Um, 
that's the reason why. So uh, I will kind of go over. Todd doesn't have anything to watch because he's already watched. Talk about what he did watch. Yep. I do have one thing. I've me and my son yesterday. He came to me and said, "Dad, I think I want to watch the the Tomorrow War, which is this new." Uh, oh, the Amazon. Yeah, thing, the right? film yeah. that was released on Amazon, and I was like, yeah, yeah. "Oh, okay." Well, I saw a preview for it a long time ago, and I was like, "Well, okay." So, so my son's starting to get into these elements of movies where, you know, you can tell he's starting to get into that precipice of horror stuff, right? Where he's he likes kind of the intense stuff, but he doesn't really love it. But he's he's kind of going that way a little bit, right? And I've showed him some things, some pretty cool things. You know, he's seen obviously he's a big Jackie Chan guy. Uh, he's seen some Donnie Yen stuff at this point. He's seen, uh, um, you know, I mean, he's 11 years old and he's seen mismatched couples. Not very many 11-year-olds can say that. Sure. Uh, and uh, he's uh, he's seen Fury Road, which kind of blew his mind. And, uh, you know, that, that one's rated R, but at the same time, it's... Uh, There's I, not really a whole hell of a lot in there that, that's worth being rated R. Well, Let's what's, be perfectly blunt. Well, what's amazing is we watched this movie yesterday. And uh, I had a good time with it. I got to say, if if you like things like, and then this, I'll preface this with saying, if you like movies like World War Z and Battle Los Angeles, which okay. I I happen to like those movies. I have seen neither. Okay, I, I happen to enjoy them. They're a little heavy on the CGI, and so's this. But sure. this movie is incredibly violent. <laughs> this Tomorrow War movie, and I was surprised by that. And to be honest with you. Because it's aliens, I think you get away with a lot, right? The blood's not red. The blood is uh, yellow or greenish. But, I mean, this movie is splattery. And uh, it is uh, quite graphic, and it's quite heavy on the gunfire. It may as well be a John Woo movie, or at least a Chow Yun-Fat movie. Uh, and it was pretty amazing to watch. But we had a really we had a good time with it, man. The The creatures are kind of weirdly designed, but the wor- they work. And they got this really great thing they do, this kind of huff and growling thing. That was a lot of fun, um, but yeah, man, I had a good. We had a good time, and he liked it quite a bit, and I liked it quite a bit. It gave the surround cool. sound a nice workout, and uh, I was surprised. I thought I wasn't going to like it, but it's funny. I thought the same thing about World War Z, and I thought the same thing about Battle of Los Angeles. I thought both of those. I don't know why. Well, World War Z. I was in California at the time when I saw it, and I had nothing to do, so I just thought, well, I'll go see World War Z. Uh, so I went to the movies by myself and checked it out and was surprised. Battle of Los Angeles, I have even no idea how I even came across it because I didn't even want to watch that at all uh, and ended up liking it. So this is a reminder that, you know, you never know. Just because you see a trailer or just because you think you're going to like something or dislike something, you really don't know until you watch it, right? Indeed. Uh, that's, just, that's, the, that's the truth of the matter. Uh, sometimes you see a trailer and you say, ah, I'm not going to like that, and then you'll be completely stunned by the fact that you dug it. So... And then, of course, sometimes you're absolutely correct. You'll see a trailer and be like, yeah, I'm not going to like that. Then you'll say, I'm going to watch this movie. And and you're like, wow, I really didn't like that. I should have known better. <laughs> so, you know, we had a good time with it. Chris Pratt was fun in it. He wasn't the typical kind of smarmy, kind of funny Chris Pratt. He was a little bit more down to earth. I mean, he had a few moments. Uh, but the the cast was all pretty good. And, uh, yeah, had a good time with it. So I recommend oh. The Tomorrow War. It's a little long in the tooth, though. Don't understand why it needs to be two hours and 20 or two hours and 19 minutes. Two hours and 19 Jesus minutes. Christ. Yeah, I don't understand that. And I think the back end really suffers a little bit. I think it goes, I think it swings for the fences one too many times. Um, but I got to say that first hour and a half is is pretty rock solid stuff. So, yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, check it out. Check it out. 
Um, normally, I think I'd take a break right now, but since we're kind of, you know, it is what it is. Unless you, yeah. yeah, might as well just jump right into it, right? Fucking let's go. Let's, let's just do it, man. Let's just, you know, let's, do just, it. let's just break the rules. Okay? We're going to break the rules, right, okay? Whatever. We're going to do it. Can't even? Huh? What? Can't uh, even? Whatever. <laughs> so we're going to jump into In the Mouth of Madness, directed by one mm. John Carpenter. You may have heard of this guy. He, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's an up and comer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, some, uh, I think he's going to break big. He's done some work. Yeah. He's done some things. Uh, this is 1994 written by Michael DeLuca, which I had totally forgotten about. Um, let's see here. Plot synopsis. An insurance investigator begins discovering that the impact a horror writer's books have on his fans is more than inspirational. There's something mm-hmm. completely wrong. I, that sentence looks correct. But it doesn't sound correct when I read it out loud. Yeah. Um, so this was Todd's pick. Uh, he kind of dropped this one on me. I hadn't seen this in uh, quite some time, probably since DVD. I never watched a HD copy of it, I can tell you that. So uh, it's kind of interesting to go back and revisit it. Also kind of interesting that John Carpenter decided to make an insurance investigator this kind of smarmy asshole Humphrey yeah. Bogart character. <laughs> yep, yep. Like he... Uh, but if you listen to the stuff that Sam Neill's character says throughout the movie, you find out very quickly that John Trent as a character is a, a misanthrope, somebody that just doesn't think people ever tell the truth. Yeah, yeah, and, because and that's been his experience. That's been his experience, and that's what he works around. It's kind of that argument I always make that if you, you, know, if you work around shit all the time, it's kind of hard to think there's anything but shit out there. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so that's kind of why we got John, we got Sam Neill, we got Jurgen Prochnow, Julie Carmen. Who uh, yep. hasn't yep. been on the show in a while? David Warner's in here briefly. Bernie Casey's in here even more briefly. <laughs> John Glover. John Glover's in here briefly. Yes. Peter Jason, uh, great character actor. Carpenter likes mm-hmm. to use him quite a bit. Uh, Charlton Heston in here. Charlton Heston back on the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's been a it's been a couple weeks there, yeah. Chuck. Yeah, been a couple weeks for Chuck, but back on the show. Um. All right, we'll dive right in here. Um. So this comes after uh Carpenter, I believe. Is this after, right after Invisible Man or, I or Village of the Damned? I want to say yes. Or this is, is before Village of the Damned. Okay, okay. So is he he had, for a while, it's almost like John Carpenter could do no wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, he had a good run, a really good run, arguably one of the best runs. Uh, you know, Dark Star is kind of a student film, but it's still pretty interesting. But you I go, still like it. Yeah, I like it yeah. a lot. You go, uh, you know, Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, couple TV movies, which aren't bad. Someone's watching me and Elvis. Yep. Uh, Then you got The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live. I mean, that is one hell of a run. Even if you don't love those films, almost all those films are completely watchable. If not, in my opinion, great. Um, But then he he, kind of missed a little bit, in my opinion, with Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Uh I just thought the I tone, still haven't seen that one. Yeah, I just find the tone of that one completely off. And he was trying for something different, and I admired him for that. But he kind of missed a little bit. And then he did Body Bags, which was it had a couple of good segments um, that I enjoyed. I think I like the Mark Hamill one. Um, but then he kind of comes back within the Mouth of Madness, kind of does a John Carpenter movie again. And you know, after that, it's kind of up in the air for a lot of folks. I mean, obviously, Todd's mentioned his thoughts on Escape from L.A. What? Which is definitely probably of all of his films, it's certainly one of his weakest ones. 
I have some affection for it, but it's not for the reasons you think. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we'll ever cover it on the show, but I pretty I much I almost fall. want to just because... Just because. Just because, yes. I know. Just um, to type the conversation. And yet at the same time, I'm just like, I, I can't. I can't. Yeah. It, I'll tell you this. If I never see it again. Same thing with Ghost of Mars. Yeah. I'll tell you this. If I never see Escape from L.A. again, I'm okay. I'm Yeah. I am 1,000% yeah. okay with never watching that movie again. Yeah. Uh, Ghost of Mars, I'd probably revisit at least once. But Escape yeah. from L.A. I've only ever seen it once. But Escape from L.A. I watched twice. And that was one time too many. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched it more than twice, and I'm the guy who hates it. Wow. Well, because so I'm I'm trying so hard to fucking like it. You're trying to make yourself like it, yeah. Oh my god. I thought that his remake of Village of the Damned was actually pretty okay. A lot of folks didn't okay. really see yeah, it. Yeah, it was it was it was strictly okay. Yeah. It's, it's it's very much a Carpenter movie. Uh, yeah. In the way it's shot, in the way it looks, I don't usually recommend it to folks because I think it's kind of a limp noodle. It's kind of mm-hmm. a it's kind of soggy, but. It's not bad, but vampires we've talked about on the show. Yep. It's probably the last kind of Carpenter S type thing, and it's 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 kind of like Carpenter on steroids in some ways. And well, it's, it's also Carpenter kind of straining for yeah, so uh, his, his kind rel- of a last gasp sort rel- of thing. relevance, right? Because I'm almost yeah, like, yeah, and trying to fit in with the cool kids at the time, right? You got your Robert yep. Rodriguez's. I mean, yep. Uh, yep. We 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 reviewed that show what, last year, I think. We reviewed that movie last year, I think, the year before last, and. I think we even kind of talked about that. It feels like a Robert Rodriguez movie to me, almost uh, through to the bone, which is understandable considering Robert Rodriguez is very heavily inspired by John Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. So, how about that? So it kind of comes back around. But this is a uh, this Snake is making its own tail. Yeah, this is truly a monster movie. This is a uh, you know an old school monster movie, a bit Lovecraftian, uh, and it's having fun with uh, media a little bit and. Uh, mm kind of the the written word and and what media can mean to people and and then you know it's it's not too deep on those elements it's there but it's not too deep on those elements it does have a great character name for the writer Sutter Kane that's a great name it is uh well he's always been good at naming his characters yes and I would totally like I see those Sutter Kane books in this movie and I would totally read all those Sutter Kane books oh my god yeah <laughs> Dude, those are a hundred percent fucking the kind of books we would uh, read. Eighties right? fucking paperbacks. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I got like such a hankering for paperback novels when I was watching him go. <laughs> when he went to the bookstore, I was so envious of him that he's buying all these paperbacks mm-hmm. and he's going to go home and do quote unquote research. I'm like, oh, it's a dream job. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, you know, I 100 percent agree with you. Yeah, uh, it's just you know, I got off on that, and it was very bizarre. But anyway, um, this one starts out pretty, pretty simply, and, and kind of a little bit of confusion in there to uh, kind of throw you off. But he's working with Sam Neill again here. Sam Neill's much more emotional in this role than usually Sam Neill pretty much is. He's usually pretty reserved. Uh, he has, actor. yeah, he has that quality. Yeah, I find him to usually be pretty stiff, not not amazing. I always find him serviceable, but he always. I seems, like him. Yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah. Actually, I, th- I, li- I think I like Sam Neill to an unreasonable degree. Yeah, he's one of those actors who, when he's not in a suit, it bothers me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's he's kind of an actor that always seems to need to be in a suit to me. I don't know why, but whatever. Well, probably because of uh, Omen Three. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, but I like him too. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I, I, I like him quite a bit. I like this character because this character is 
Well, I like characters who are assholes. And the reason why is because <laughs> to me and in my experience, most people have some proclivity or something that draws this them toward this type of element, this toward of torp towards this type of you know, negativity or it makes them more human to me. So he's a right. bit of a he's a bit of a pig. He's a bit of a he's definitely chauvinistic. He's definitely uh an elitist. And certainly he thinks everybody is up to no good, and that's part of his job. But he's he's oddly sexually predatorial as well in this movie, which is kind of interesting. But it's not it's not in the way you think. It's not in the way of bad taste. It's more in the way of I wish I could get laid. Um, and yeah. you know, in, in fairness to him, Julie Carmen is striking. I mean, you know, let's see, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of flirting with each other a little bit, right from the from the hop you can kind of tell and well, uh, yeah and i think that you know carpenter has always had a knack for pairing people up on screen i mean you know even with uh henstridge and ice cube uh i think evoking a certain chemistry in ghost of mars and i think that neil and carmen really fit that bill nicely mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. i think that they play off each other uh as two angles on a theme and like frenemies uh equally well Yes, uh, because I think that it's great that you know you get this believer versus non-believer thing that this sort of uh, story kind of demands. Right. Um, but Carpenter never makes the relationship feel strictly expositional as you might think it would have to be. Yes. Um, and you know that. And there's a reason I, for that, right? I mean, there's a reason for that, which we can't really go into for the story, but. Right. 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 Yeah, because it kind of comes back around, and I, I think that he handles it very well actually i usually don't like those kind of tropes in stories you know those kind of like uh moonlighting yeah i really don't kind of like those that much but here because of the type of story the carpenter is telling i think it works yes and i'm sorry if i cut off your thought i thought that's okay that's okay i was just gonna i was gonna make mention of um uh there's the rather in regards to this relationship uh, I, I love the rather unsubtle uh, nod that Carpenter gives to possession, oh, yeah. uh, where Neil sees the tentacle slithering under the door, and Carmen Carmen is obviously getting it on with whatever's on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I love is that you know, uh, in true Carpenter fashion, uh, the Sam Neil character has no problems punching uh, a woman uh, in the face if it's called for. Uh-huh. So. Uh huh. So several times, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah. Right. It's, it's actually quite comedic. Uh, it also, is. Well, that's, also, I mean, that's the point. Yeah. Also in Carpenter fashion, it's a, it's a, a nice, and to me, this is the last uh, subtle car- Carpenter film where, in other <laughs> yes. words, I mean, it's over the top in spots, but the comedy in here is not in your face. It's there. Yeah. No, it's pretty sly. Yeah. It's pretty sly comedy. And the, that, that, that physical altercation scene between him and Julie Carmen is actually, I mean, it's, it borders on slapstick. It's so ridiculous. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's kind of fun, and the way it kind of pays off with the kind of cork, uh, contortionist performance, which is straight out of the thing, and uh, some of those influences he's had in the past and, and all that stuff. I mean, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of fun, gooey effects again. So we get to talk about uh, practical effects again, and there's a lot of good uh, kind of fun, practical, gooey effects here. Uh, again, this is before heavy reliance on CGI, so you get some really nice uh, moments here with uh, you know reverse photography and rubber effects and Vaseline and KY jelly and all that kind of good stuff that they used to use, almost Rob Bottin like in some ways. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some of the effects here, 
And I think it was kind of fun. I remember going to see this in the theater, and I remember thinking, wow, it's kind of fun to see John Carpenter get back into the world of, you know, practical effects as heavy as he did in this. Because when I think of his movies, I don't always think of practical effects. I tend, I tend to think of uh, camera movement and mood. That seems to be something that he does a lot of. I, I, I've always thought John Carpenter is, he is a classy filmmaker working in a genre that is deemed classless. Uh, now, obviously, me and you and the you know our, our dog named Boo, who is the complete, complete audience of this podcast, we all love our our uh, horror films, and yeah. uh, we do not think that that genre is uh, a less than genre. We probably think it's our favorite genre. Most most film buffs, I think, do love horror. Right, right, right. But I mean, Carpenter Carpenter worshipped at the altar of genre. Yes. Yes. And certainly, I mean, uh, certainly when you get into, you know, his love of, of uh, uh, Hawks, especially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's not really it's not really surprising uh, that he went down this path. I was surprised that he stayed on this path. Yeah. I think uh, he always. As long as he did. Yeah, I think he tried to get off of it. But well, I think was, that's where you get into stuff like Starman and Memoirs. Yes. Yeah. I think Starman is his. Starman to me is as close as he ever got to really getting off of it. I mean, memoirs is the biggest attempt, and to me, he failed there. Well, the most expensive attempt. Yeah, he failed there, and uh, it's it's kind of like to me, memoirs is kind of like his Steven Spielberg movie. It's his attempt right, 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 right. at a big blockbuster. Uh, I'm going to get away from the horror elements. I'm going to stay in the fantastical, but I'm going to get away from the horror elements some. And uh, he tried, and uh, to me, he failed. For others, he didn't. For others, uh, you know, we should say, you know, for others, uh, there's folks out there who like that movie, and I, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't judge anybody. I mean, you like what you like. I just, for me, it does not work, and uh, I find it to be uh, a bit of a just a pain to watch, uh, and, and painful for John Carpenter. It does have some very John Carpenter esque uh, cinematography and look to it. I mean, his all of his films have a look. Oh, yeah. uh, that I think is unique to him, and it's certainly because of the lenses he uses and the he likes the well, widescreen. I was going to say him and um, oh god, who was his uh, cinematographer for the longest time? Uh oh, fuck! It's not going to come to me now. Fuck. Anyway, but with uh, the uh, the lens flares and that, Dean Cundy. Dean Cundy. Yes, thank you. Yes, Dean Cundy. Took me a minute to think of it too. We're old. That's what happens. Yeah. But uh, he, he would end up working with Gary Kibbe quite a bit, and uh, I think Gary Kibbe actually shot this one. And Gary Kibbe yes. has a little bit of the Dean Cundy quality, but not quite. Dean Cundy certainly has a unique uh, look and has worked on some of the biggest movies ever made. He, he's uh, he worked with Spielberg quite a bit too. He does. She shot Jurassic Park, so there you go. Um, so I, but I, I think Dean Cundy shot Invisible Man. I don't know that for sure, but I think he might have. Um, so this has got KMB effects in here. So you you got those guys working on the movie. There is CGI in here. We should say. I mean, it's not yes. CGI fr- uh, free. It, there's definitely CGI in here. But this has definitely got KMB effects in here. Um, and I enjoyed all the monster creations. It's one of those things though where I almost wish. And I thought this at the time when I saw the movie. And I don't know if you feel this way. This is a movie where they really held back on showing the monsters and. I appreciate that, but there's a part of me that wishes I would have seen more. I don't know if you feel that way or not. No, I don't think so because I think that I think the part of um, 
part of what's going on here uh, is that, you know, he, because we're playing in Lovecraft land, um, you kind of have to go along with the, the whole idea of, you know, describing the indescribable. And I think that in that respect, I, I think that he does a pretty admir- admirable uh, job of representing that notion mm-hmm. uh, because he does use a lot of strobes. He does use a lot of fast cuts. Uh, but at the same time, you're getting, you know, just enough of these nice, you know, rubbery, slimy uh, K&B creations uh, to uh, to get an idea of just exactly what's, you know, what it is that we're, or what uh, the the Neil character is seeing. Right. Uh, but I think that that kind of, I, I don't think that you, I don't think that you should show off uh, as much of these things. And, and, uh, and that's kind of unfortunate in, in the respect of... Um, you know, the amount of work that I'm sure went into all of these things because it's very, very obvious from what you do see uh, and not being able to see them, you know, in on full display. But at the same time, I think that it works towards the part of the 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 uh, theme of the movie or the, the, the premise of the movie uh, and where it's coming from. So I, I kind of kind of respect it in that way as well, mm-hmm. uh, if that makes sense. No, 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 no. Uh, it does. So yeah, I mean that that's kind of where I fall on that. So yeah, I mean uh, the 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 monster kid in me absolutely wants to fucking just sit there for an hour and a half and just stare at these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, for the purposes of this specific movie, I get why he doesn't. Right, right. Uh, so I, I respect him for that, and I I I, I agree with it uh, for that. Yeah. Now there's there's a part of me that even watching it this time, I wish I got a little bit more. Now, I. Sure. I, sure. I think it mostly comes from the kind of pivotal monsters chasing him down the hallway scene. And he probably did the right thing because I think if you show too much of that, you might've seen, you know, you might've seen how the sausage is made. Right. Right. But right, right. I still, uh, there's always just, I, I think it's one of those things where it peaks my imagination and it really gets it going. And I'm not a big Lovecraftian monster kind of guy. I'm not really into these uh, tentacle monsters and, and all that kind of stuff and these kind of fish monsters and things like that. And that's what they kind of remind me of, although I don't think uh, water plays a big really, – it's not very – it's not Lovecraftian in the sense that it, the ocean plays a big part of the story. It's more Lovecraftian in the sense that it's some type of monster that you almost can't explain – about with words and visually or actually let me take that back it's a monster you can explain with words but like visually you can't really kind of bring it to life but they do a good job they do a good job really trying here to bring it to life and it's 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 one of those kind of horror films too where you just kind of you know it's people coming into a small town now we'll say this about this movie this movie is shot in markham ontario and i love this location this location is as much a character in this movie as anything. Uh, that church is actually there. Um, that small town, all that stuff is in Markham, Ontario, uh, Canada. And it's got a really small town Americana feel to it with this absurd church in the middle of it. Uh, it's one of those things where I think they were there looking, scouting, and they saw this church, and they were just like, we got to work that into the movie somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's ridiculous. It's an, it's it's very this ostentatious crazy looking uh medieval church you know in the middle of ontario canada and uh i've always wanted to kind of visit that uh site to kind of see that thing you see people take pictures around it nowadays um and that that small town of markham so i'd I'd like to visit that place at some point because i think it is a nice character in the movie that kind of small town feel i mean that covered bridge they come over you know you'd swear that's coming out of vermont or somewhere up east right and i mean that's that's canada though 
And it's just, but it looks like, I mean, like I see that bridge and immediately I think, okay, yeah, J.D. Salinger lives on the other side of that, you know, (laughs) but it's, you know, it's Canada, you know, so it's not Vermont. So, you know, it's just, it's, he really kind of nails that upper New England kind of Lovecraftian feel without being too on the nose with Lovecraftian stuff. Um, We also get a appearance here by Wilhelm von Humburg, who, uh, ex-professional wrestler but you guys might remember him from uh, ghostbusters 2 where he played the yes. uh the heavy that's in the painting but yes, he has, Vigo the carpathian yes but he has a very uh significant face uh, uh wilhelm von humburg uh you never forget his face wilhelm and he got some work because of it you know i mean really he got work in movies right. because of his face i mean he has a a great face. Well, he looks like he looks almost Rondo Hatney in the way in the in the respect that he looks like he's not real. Yeah. Even though you can clearly see that he's absolutely not wearing makeup. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah. No, I totally, yeah, I totally agree. He, this is one of the, the last things he did. Uh, he did. Uh, this is the last film he did. He did a TV series after this in Germany, but he died uh, in uh, 2004. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I like everything about this movie, and I think the story still. I tell you another thing, I do like about this movie, it hits the ground running. It really pretty much hits the ground yep. running, and it goes, and it just, it doesn't waste a lot of time. The sound design in the movie is still really good. Uh, all the monster noises and you know the loud booms and the just the effect of all that sound, it really works. Um, and I think that. I like the kind of thesis of the film, not to sound fancy or anything, but I like the idea that if you believe anything enough, does that really make it real? Right. Or does it not? I mean, you can get well, I love that. Or, and that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a lot of what this movie does for me. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can get into the thoughts on religion on that, the thoughts on just about everything, that if yeah. people believe yeah. enough, they can make it reality. Well, yeah, I mean, that the film states up front part of what part of what it's about and that's you know they when does fiction become religion yes uh and i think that in a, in a bizarre oblique sort of way you could look at the film as a, a kind of a shot at l ron hubbard and scientology mm-hmm. yeah um yeah or, then, even, or then, even the holy know, bible it goes, itself, it goes yeah. a little bit beyond that because then you know carpenter gets into his whole metatextual uh sort of aspects which you know it's that that is fucking that is just meat and potatoes to me yeah uh, I love it. I eat it the fuck up. I I adore stuff like that. And yeah. I will I will you know full disclosure, I will give a lot of leeway mm-hmm. to things that do stuff like that. Well, and I think for me that's why this is this is Carpenter's last hurrah. Know, it, not not his last. Well, for me it's his last quote unquote great movie. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I hundred percent agree. With I that. think everything after this is middling to okay. Yeah. Uh, actually milling to find shit uh, yeah well i mean there's some shit in there, well, no doubt yeah there's some shit in there there's no doubt about it i mean he definitely he definitely goes off teat after this movie <laughs> <laughs> he does indeed but but you know a friend of the show stohan he reached out to me via instagram and he's like i've never watched anything past prince of darkness because i just can't get into anything he thought that uh vampires was too misogynistic and stuff and teach their own i agree it is very misogynistic and it kind of ridiculous oh it is yeah um but you know he asked if this is worth watching and i said yeah because i think it's the last 
It's the last great Carpenter movie. It's the the and maybe the last great Carpenter movie we'll ever get, um, because I don't know if he'll ever work again. I hope he does, but I don't know if he'll, he'll ever work again. I don't think he gives a single shit about getting behind the camera again. No, I don't think he does either. Uh, I think he's I think he's done his thing and he's fine riding it out the way it is. Yeah, yep, for better uh, or worse. So. But I'll kick it over to you. Okay, so uh, there's kind of in this movie an interesting correlation going on between this and Christine uh, I they both open up with a, a detailing of an industrial process um, this <laughs> yeah. one is about printing horror novels the other was about was adapted from a horror novel and I'd like to think that this is intentional uh, but you never know especially considering where this movie goes and how this movie goes um, so I, I like that and I like that right you know right off the bat uh, so again, this is one of those things. It's just immediately my heart is with this movie. Um, you know, one of the things that that horror movies have loved to rely on is the unreliable uh, narrator. Mysteries as well, but in horror, it's you know visceral. Where in mystery, it's uh, it's a sinister thing. And as we know, uh, you know whether or not said narrator is in fact insane, uh, he's also typically the only one who actually knows the truth. Um, but of course, you know, uh, you know, truth is, uh, you know, stranger than fiction, all that sort of thing. So, you know, no one obviously is going to believe him. Uh, and even if he weren't insane before anything happened, you know, these events that happened to him shatter his mind uh, because, you know, the reali- reality that uh, that he knows that we all know uh, can't be trusted. Uh, so I like that aspect of it as well. Um, and that uh, that really kind of draws us in. Um and uh, allows for kind of the the more radical flights that the movie takes, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things about the movie that's interesting in Carpenter's filmography uh, is the tone, because it's not a straight-up a horror movie. And I think that you you actually kind of mentioned this. Uh, in fact, I'd say that you know this is closer to a surrealist comedy, uh, and that piece of it i think kicks off with the uh, the john glover doing his his wonderful little turn as this uptight nervine of a director or uh, not director um uh doctor uh in the uh, the insane asylum uh but i i think that you know and we talked a little bit about sam neill i i do think that he's perfectly cast uh to carry this thing off uh and i think that you know this is all intentional on carpenter's part as a thematic device um the you know the normal uh, reality that these characters inhabit is already a, a bit unbelievable. It's a bit contrived, uh, you know, just from 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 Jump Street. So as the truth, not reality, but you know, the truth uh, begins to impede on this reality, I think that we find it a little bit easier to go along. Uh, and it's actually quite brilliant, I think, as as a storytelling technique. Although you know, uh, Carpenter's actually you know, played with this before, most notably, I think, in They Live. Um, not in the same way or to the, to the same degree, but, you know, I think it's there and, and Prince of Darkness too. Uh, and, you know, I really, I, I should mention here that, uh, you know, and well, we actually, we did mention, uh, already at the beginning that the, 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 the screen, the screenplay is not Carpenter's, uh, but Michael DeLuca's so credit, you know, where it's due to him as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, naturally the, uh, the elements about this movie that most folks uh, tend to talk about are the, uh, the Lovecraft parallels. Uh, now as, uh, as, as personalities, uh, the Sutter King character is nothing like HP Lovecraft. Uh, you know, Jurgen Prochnow's, uh, uh, Sutter Kane is very much in a, a, sort of, um, uh, messianic, uh, he's very like David Koresh sort of, uh, mold, 
that the character's in, uh, where Lev- Lovecraft was far more interior uh, as a personality. And I like that. Uh, I, I, I like that Carpenter doesn't really waste his time uh, on the more problematic aspects of uh, Lovecraft the person. Uh, which you know, were this made today, I could totally see the entire movie involving itself with you know rather than you know telling a good story um but that's neither here nor there uh but i do think that i do think that this film expands uh beyond simply lovecraft obviously uh specifically to uh stephen king uh with the whole hobbs end thing with being a real place uh and it's a plot point that you know i think references king's own castle rock um, territory that he's carved out for himself, that he's created this sort of uh, the King verse, the Stephen King verse, I guess you could call it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in fact, I'm, I'm sort of surprised uh, that Carpenter didn't just go the whole nine yards and try to incorporate his other films into this one in a sort of shared uh, sort of Carpenter verse. Um, although maybe I think that you know maybe his early reference to the uh, the music group, the Carpenters, is kind of a, a dig at that. Or maybe, you know, I just need to stare at this thing a little bit more intently. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that aspect to it. But, you know, back to the point. Uh, Carpenter uh, had a great fondness for the effects of fiction on reality and vice versa. uh, And the origins of legends. And it's the same sort of thing uh, as guys like Nigel Neal and, you know, obviously a whole roster of artists. But specifically with the people who influenced Carpenter. and I think that these things all intertwine in this movie. Uh, you know, fiction is truth creating, you know, religious converts and it's multi-reality. Uh, and, you know, I feel that um, I feel that Carpenter takes some very, very complex, very sophisticated, very difficult to depict ideas. Uh, and I think that he actually manages to make them work rather nicely in a uh, in a genre mold. Um so, you know, I, I, I give it a lot of credit there as well. Uh, also to uh, Carpenter's credit is how well he manages to hold down uh, all the, the circular aspects of the film, you know, just the logistical uh, aspects of, uh, of the blocking and, 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 you know, all that sort of thing. Time is not – because time is not um, strictly linear in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since time is what, you know, we human beings use to, to measure and, like, order reality to whatever degree, uh, you know, if you can't trust the one – you know, you sure as shit can't trust the other. So I think that's really, you know, kind of brilliant uh, how he kind of toys with that. And he does it really, really, really well. Um, and of course, then, you know, I absolutely love that uh, Carpenter then brings all of this movie back around to uh, to film and adaptations, uh, going all the way back to the opening montage, I would suggest. Uh, and, you know, uh, stories being written, uh, becoming reality that's being created by some malevolence. Uh, and as as we watch these, um, you know, like, uh, quote unquote, fictional stories unspooling on screen, uh, I think that they become reality to us or at least, you know, for the length of time that we watch them to say nothing of the more uh, recent sort of cosplay uh, trend, which would add a whole nother wrinkle. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I mean, you, you, you can you can dance along the Mobius strip of this movie for days on end. I think you could repeat the same discoveries and circle back to something that you neglected or I could uh, or something like that. But, you know, I think that even in the repetition of these things, ad, ad nauseum or ad infinitum or what have you, I, I, I personally take an inordinate amount of delight. Um, you know, maybe it's maybe it's the um, the the mental masturbator uh, inside me. 
Uh, maybe it's the actual masturbator inside me. I don't know. Uh, but I, I really love this movie. Uh, and for me, yeah, I mean, like we said, uh, this is absolutely Carpenter's last uh, great movie um, before Cigarette Burns. Uh, which yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I never hear anyone talk about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, it also covers a lot of uh, very, very similar themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we should mention but, that one at least because that is that is really good. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah. I, when I saw that, I was uh, yeah. I yeah. so wanted it to be. I so wanted the ward then to be better than it wound up being. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I mean that arguably, you know, I know it's not a full length film, but that arguably probably is his last really kind of great piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I do think it is. Uh, but that's what I love about this movie. I love, I love when it, I love when it twists. I love when it turns. And I think that, I think that Escape from New York is doing that. Uh, and I think that the thing is doing that. Uh, out of all of his uh, filmography, those are the ones that are the most, I think, hard on his sleeve movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, I think that you know he had a love to make the other stuff in his filmography, uh, but these are the ones that stand out. Um, and then obviously after this, then it's just, you know, I think it was a lot more about the, 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 uh, about the Benjamins, uh, and all that sort of thing. But that's, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I really just, I love this thing. I can't, I'm looking forward to, uh, rewatching it again with the commentary. Um, and I'm looking forward to digging into the, uh, some of the special features uh, on the uh, the Blu-ray that I have here, um, but other than that, I mean, yeah, I mean, you really kind of have to, you kind of have to be of a mind for this movie because it's so not like, uh, you know, in quotes, uh, normal horror movies, uh, because it is trying to do things that are you know a bit outside the main. Yeah, um, it's almost. So like- I think that. It's almost a commentary on Carpenter's work altogether, right? So, oh, it a hundred percent is, uh, and that's why you know that's why I'm, I'm in my mind I link that I link that up with Lovecraft's you know shared universe with uh, Car uh, with King's shared universe. It's all about shared universes, right? right, you, right. you could even you, you can expand that into you know the Tarantino verse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that we now have and all that that sort of thing. And I think these these are things that uh, these are things that I find really compelling, not just. Um, not just as like a, a cinephile, but it just as, you know, being something that you can dig into a little bit deeper if you want to, but you don't have to. Uh, and I still, and I find the movie wildly satisfying as well, uh, for how insane it is. I mean, it's, it, there's a little bit of flab here and there, yeah. but you know, nine out of 10, this movie just chugs along and it chugs along marvelously well. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm, yep. Uh, but that's all I got, man. Kicking over to you for, yeah. uh, for make or break tonight. I like the. Uh, I don't know if. I, by the way, I don't know if any of what I just said makes any kind of sense because no, it I was makes really sense kind to of me. stream of consciousing it, consciousing that, a, That's consciousness not easy. Yeah. Jesus, are you, uh, when you're I being really, you're being really notes. hard on yourself right now. <laughs> uh, my, I wish. I think. I think that. I think uh, somebody should be. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We should all be hard on mm. each other. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's the most positive thing I can say in any given day. We should all be more hard for each other. Um, exactly. the, the truth is, uh, the simplicity of the story too, I quite big, I, I didn't mention this in my talking about it, but I, I really enjoy that simplicity of that old man makeup on that kid on the bike. I mean, it's such, yeah, 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 it's such yeah. an urban legend type moment, but it's a really yes. solid little moment, uh, yep. that is so simple to do and, uh, it still works. 
hundred percent, yeah. Uh, make or break for me on this one. Brr, 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 brr. Um, I don't know. I like it when things go bonkers in this movie. So it it takes a long time to get there, but I, I quite enjoy the pre climax because it's not really the climax of the film. But I kind of quite enjoy that once they kind of you know Jurgen Prock now and him are talking and they're talking about literature and you know people's belief systems and all that stuff and then you get the door the rubber door yeah. breaking open and stuff which still looks great by the way that rubber door still looks amazing uh it's such a simple effect but it's, it works so good uh mvt i'm gonna go with carpenter because i do believe this is his last uh great feature film uh arguably you know cigarette burns i totally agree with you todd that is a really good one i actually might like cigarette burns more overall than this but uh, feature film wise this will be it and I give this one an 8 out of 10 I still think it really holds up and it really plays well and man it was a breezy watch too I mean I really got through this thing quick I was like wow is this movie that short and I'm like no it's not it's an hour and a half which maybe that just says something about modern movies but uh, it really it really works it still works yeah yeah. no I 100% agree with you um, so okay uh, make a break for me I'm going to go with the final scene uh, because I think that it's a summation uh, not only of this but of Carpenter's feelings about cinema overall. Uh, I think that it's really kind of this this moment in the movie is really kind of a love letter that uh, as well as being like a punctuation mark. Uh, and you know while I don't think that maybe it might not be all that subtle, I think that's very, very, very effective. Um, MVT, yeah, I gotta go for I, it's, it's Carpenter. Uh, he absolutely shines. Uh, keeping this thing together uh, through some you know pretty difficult material and making it work and doing it all in his own style, uh, and I, I completely agree that this is his uh, one of uh, his last two great uh, his last sort of gasps. Uh, let's say even though they're they're hell of a hell of a gasp. Um, and score for me, I'm just a hair under you actually on this one, uh, seven point five uh, oh, out okay. of ten. Um, because yeah, I mean I I do. There's just a couple of, of just like kind of nags uh, about it that I have, but they're so minor that it's, it's not even worth bringing up. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, this thing is uh, is really really good, and for those of you who haven't seen it, I would absolutely recommend it uh, in uh, not only Carpenter's filmography but horror in general. Uh, it's well, well, well worth the uh, the time. So yes, indeed. All right, we're going to take a short break, come back, and we will discuss Face Off. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be back right after this. Daft Punk for you, huh? 
I'm usually playing the metal stuff, and uh, I like that one because uh, I like the way it plays with uh, the kind of skipping record sound. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not for everybody, but I kind of dig it. There's that. Check it out. They were daft. They were daft, those boys. Those uh, punks. Those, <laughs> yeah, those uh, daft punks. Mm-hmm. Those damn... Not to be in, uh, confused with those intrepidos punks. Oh, no. No, those are intrepidos def- punks. Those are definitely a totally different type of punk. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Face Off, 1997, directed by one John Woo. I've heard of him. To foil a terrorist plot, an FBI agent undergoes facial transplant surgery to assume the identity of the criminal mastermind who murdered his only son. But the criminal wakes up prematurely and seeks revenge. What? Yes, it's crazy. It's crazy town. It is crazy town. Literally crazy town. Um, I had seen this once. Uh, some conversation <laughs> that went back and forth between me and the guys over at Not A Bomb. And uh, I thought, you know what? I need to revisit that because uh, folks really like this thing. And I remember not liking it too much when I saw it originally. I mean, I didn't despise it, but I didn't love it either. So I was like, you know, it's time. It's, you know, th- usually if I, you know, have an opinion of a film like that and everybody seems to kind of dig it, I'm like, well, you know, maybe I need to go back and look at it. So I went back and looked at it. I'll reserve my conversation as we go along. But uh, what did you think on your rewatch of Face Off, Mr. Todd? Oh, my God. I loved it. Oh. Um, well, first things first. I mean, I've never felt the need for an HD upgrade on this one, uh, although I do think it would look nice. But, uh, you know, on yeah. the uh, the Paramount widescreen DVD collection, uh, that uh, is the only copy that I own. Um, I love that you get all kinds of grain and dirt on the Paramount logo. Uh, mm, so, mm, you know, put mm. that in my veins. Yeah. Um, I watched this well, on uh, Hulu in HD, and that grain and dirt was still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's that's kind of yeah. I just I love that. I love that. And then you can you can still see some uh, some stuff uh, in the actual film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely that's, a shot that's on the, film. That's the old man in me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so hold on, I gotta clear my throat. So yeah, one of the things that always stood out to me about the opening scene in this movie is that when uh, when Nicolas Cage uh, takes a sip of his drink, uh, is just how pouty his lips are. Uh, I picked up on, but I mean, that's a hundred percent, uh, the thing that always stands out to me. I'm just looking at them and looking at them like, Oh man, look at that. I get why the chicks like him. Um, so as per usual, uh, with this sort of thing, we get, uh, Wu's, uh, fetishization of guns, uh, mm-hmm. specifically in, you know, weapons in general, uh, because he loves to show them and, you know, he loves to show people use them in slow motion. Yeah. Uh, you know, not dismissing his normal uses of, of, of uh, slow-mo, of, of course. Um, his characters kind of like uh, porn actors. Uh, they know how to use their tools, so to speak, and, you yeah. know, really loves to show that off. Yeah. Uh, so there's, you know, a very loving uh, slow-mo uh, tracking shot in on the uh, the caster, Paula, or caster Troy, um, his twin pistols. No. Uh, again, you know, Wu's you know, predilections notwithstanding. Um, when I think know, of it. two handguns, I always think of John Wu. A hundred percent. But I think that that's also, you know, because it's not just that, but it's also this, the, the sort of uh, duality uh, that he's playing with um, hmm. in, uh, in the movie. But, you know, that being said... Uh, we get all of we get all of the John Woo themes stylistically and narratively. So we get the religious iconography. We get a, a choir singing multiple times, in fact. Yeah. Uh, and usually, when uh, the caster character is on screen, 
Uh, we get Dove's line around at the finale. We get you know his uh, <laughs> yeah. Wu's love of dissolves. We get his love of uh, slow motion things that that throw sparks. Yeah. Uh, not the brothers, but actual sparks. <laughs> yeah. Um, slow motion. We get his. Uh, yep, yep, yep. We get that. We get, that. The, we get his uh, his kinetic use of uh, of camera working against uh, as well as moving into action. Uh, all of these things. Something yeah. that people don't talk about enough with Wu to me is his uh, cutting away after a character makes an absurd face. <laughs> uh, he likes to do that, and uh, Nicholas Cage gives him and a Nicholas lot Cage of loves mugging. Yeah, gives him a lot of material. <laughs> oh goodness, does it ever! Uh, if there was somebody who loves mugging for the camera more than Bill Cosby, uh, uh, it might be Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, we also get uh, so okay. Yeah, getting into the whole the big theme of uh, of woos, which you know is obviously this idea of duality and brotherhood or family, sometimes metaphoric, sometimes literal. So. Uh, to, to pick that apart just a little bit, um, you know, Wu normally loves having criminals and cops who share this kind of begrudging respect uh, and or this sort of uh, code of conduct, uh, and maybe even they'll team up usually uh, by the end of the movie. And this is a, this movie, Face Off, is a pretty interesting twist on that, sorry, twist yeah. uh, on that <laughs> aspect. Uh, because the, the the caster character and the Sean Archer character are nothing alike in their mission or how they operate. Right. Uh, although they come close, I think in how far they're willing to go. Yes. Uh, to achieve their ends, but caster, you know, he t- he takes care of his little brother, uh, who's the only thing that he cares about. And by the way, I really need to mention that Alessandro Navolo's or Navolo's um, super super affected performance is really really grading in this movie yes uh and it's not the only grading thing i should mention but yeah yeah uh well uh, so let me let me let me pause there for a second let me say this i think this movie is at its best when everybody is overacting (laughs) uh when people are not overacting it is for me quite painful Okay. It's, okay. It's melodramatic and yes. not what I particularly care for in acting. Uh, <laughs> now, and, and I like every actor in this movie, and I, I'm pretty sure you do as well. I mean, yeah. Everybody. I mean, there's a lot of great character actors in here. Joan Allen's a great actress. Oh my God! Yeah. I mean, yeah. John Travolta's. You know, he, he can sometimes be left of teat. <laughs> he's left. He's not. Yeah, no. he's not even on teat or off teat. He's left no, of teat. He's left of teat. Yes, um, indeed. Which is a new. We're at. We're adding. Yeah, we're adding to this. Uh, <laughs> this teat motif. Motif. Love it. Oh, the motif. The gentleman's guide to midnight motifs. Um, now, now, obviously, with Nicolas Cage, you always know you're going to get the potential for overacting, and that's kind of what you show up for sometime with him. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I don't mind. I don't mind the overacting. I think so. The movie is ludicrous, and I'm okay with that. And that's why I think John Woo's the perfect person for this kind of ludicrous, high concept plot idea. I think the problem, and for me, where this movie stumbles, is when it tries to apply hard science and hard reality to the wackiness yeah but i think that it doesn't really uh, yeah it doesn't i don't think it really commits enough uh to any of that to really be like offensive uh because i think that this you know it's far i mean this movie's far more about uh woo just doing his thing and Mm -hmm. these and just unleashing uh these two actors on screen yeah 
uh, to do their their thing. So I it mean, certainly like, feels like, hey, we're America. We figured out John Woo's bankable. Yeah, he's coming yeah, off yeah. a Mission Impossible two here and a Hard Target, right? Right. And uh, let's give him a check, and we got two hot stars, and let's see what happens. Well, yeah, but I mean, that, and not not that it's a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think the the best things about this movie are the action moments. I mean, they're John Woo, and John Woo is a uh, arguably one of the great action directors, uh, or maybe I should say, inarguably. I mean, it's he's. You know he's got it. I mean the the boat chase in this movie is still fucking amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean it is a hell of a climax to a movie. Yep. I mean that you you can't say that about every action movie. You've watched a lot of action movies. Sometimes the climax is not nearly as good as the the action piece in the middle or the action piece at the beginning, which is actually pretty good in this one too. But man, I tell you what, knowing how to close a movie, he nails it on this one. I think he does. Um, but I mean, you know, you, you kind of mentioned this, so I'll just kind of get it out of the way, yeah. but I, you know, there was that quick moment in time there where Hollywood's fascination with Hong Kong, uh, action directors gave me this slight glimmer of hope, mm. uh, for action cinema. But of course, uh, you know, obviously this was quickly squelched, yes. uh, when guys like Wu and, and Ringo Lam and Choi Hark, uh, and so on, were, were only really given, you know, these mid budget junk things to do. Yes. And this movie is really kind of the exception to that rule. Uh, and that's why it kind of stands out as being kind of the cream of the crop in that, in that regard. But you know, this, the whole, the whole thing, that whole kind of trend was like hiring Michelangelo, yeah. uh, to paint the Sistine Chapel. And then when he gets there, the whole thing is stenciled out like a paint by numbers. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, it, it, no, sort no. Reminds, it sort of, it sort of reminds me of the, uh, the Filipino invasion in comics back in the seventies, because obviously you know, we were a comic book show. Uh, and we always have to come back around to it. Yes. Um, and it, it kind of reminds me of that in some ways, although that I feel that that was more successful by far. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it, in its exploitation of the, of the talent and, you know, they that, wanted to be exploited as obviously, you know, Wu and, and these Hong Kong directors yeah. wanted to be exploited. That Filipino connection to comics too is still felt today in a lot of ways. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's still guys today that I would, I would gladly read anything that they did. But I, uh, let me let me let me go back and say that I I'm got my my timing off. Mission Impossible Two is after this, so uh, yeah. So it was uh, Hard Target and Broken Arrow, which I am a fan of Broken Arrow and Hard Target, and yeah, and, yeah. And uh, then then there's, then there's Face Off, and that was his biggest American hit, I think. Maybe Mission Impossible Two was because of Tom Cruise. I'm not positive on that, but uh, I know by the time Mission Impossible Two comes around, people are starting to not like things john woo does let's say soften on yeah the, as, right? as yeah they definitely were going left of teat yeah yes we've now gone left of teat <laughs> that would be west of teat <laughs> <laughs> but but it's true i mean I, I remember the reaction i personally like mission impossible 2 but i i remember the reaction after seeing mission impossible 2 of of critics and everything else talking about yeah, John Woo does his dove thing, and yeah, John Woo does his double gun thing. And I remember thinking, damn, it's only been a couple movies in America, and already yep. people are shitting on him. Yep. And the action is still better in Mission Impossible 2 than it probably was most action movies that year. Uh, uh, yeah, but I mean, it also, it also, it, it sort of, it went a little bit too west of Teat. Yes. Well, yeah, no, no, it's, uh, it's a bit. For a lot of people, because yeah. when, you had, when you got to that, that point, where it's, you had the the 
ridiculous motorcycle thing. Yes, it's a bit maudlin. That and, is a bit. Yes, that's just a bridge too far. Uh, even for even, even for action junkies. even for me who will make an excuse for Mission Impossible Two all day, even I will admit yes, the motorcycle and I've heard stuff. You make them, yes, so. even I will say that the motorcycle stuff in that is ridiculous. Oh uh, my god! It it's is. it just it. I don't know what he was going for there. It just didn't work. But right. Well, I mean, and part know. of that is that you know, Wu is a visual stylist. He is not a dramatist. Correct. And I think that that has been you know. That's kind of been the 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 biggest detriment to him, and to I mean, it's the same reason why we lament things like why is there not great action in American cinema like there is in Hong Kong cinema because they're different industries and they have different approaches. Yes, uh, innately, and they have different approaches in terms of editing and in terms of coverage because yes. they are different audiences that they're primarily made for. Correct. Uh, or were, I mm-hmm. should say, mm-hmm. but um, it's, so, a, it's, a, mean, it's a cultural divide that is there much is, as, but so when you so right, so when you try to pound that that round peg into a square hole, uh, it doesn't always fit, and then you wind up shaving off you know some of the uh, some of the sides that made it fucking round to begin with. Yeah, yeah, I don't um, I don't think uh, as much as I mean like Robert Rodriguez with Desperado, that was Asian influenced action movie from a Mexican American. And certainly we have seen Kill Bill and things like that where these Asian-influenced directors have been able to ape the style. But even aping the style, it's never quite the same because it's not. Asian cinema just has, Asian action cinema in particular, it just has a certain, it, I mean, it's one of those things, man, where it's like the difference between Miracle Whip and Mayonnaise. It's oh, just, yeah. it's, there's just something different about it. Some will some will tell you no. May, Miracle Whip tastes like mayonnaise. No, it don't. It, it but it. I understand the logic. You know, it, the 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 naysayer or the the person who just comes on the outside looks at it and doesn't really dig into action cinema. They're gonna say, well, it's all just a bunch of explosions and people kicking and fighting and shooting each other and all that stuff. No, 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 no. There's something totally different about it, and it will always be that way. I think. I think you'll 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 have guys like the John Wick guy, and you'll have guys that'll inform over and over and over again from Asian cinema, but I don't think it'll ever be like Ringo Lam or Jackie Chan or Stanley yeah, you Tong. Can't ma- or, you can't match that insanity yeah. and expect to pull it off with an American you audience. Cannot. Because you an cannot. American audience is, is, I think, far more cynical. Yes. Uh, We're I left, mean, some we people would less. use the word sophisticated. I wouldn't. I would use the word cynical. Yes. Well, um, I would use, in, the, in I would use the, the... I would use the words narrow-minded. I think. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I think There's that's that a too. when that it comes too. to action movies. A lot in America, we have to have some type of semblance of reality, whereas in Asia, it doesn't really matter. The, no. the the importance is the visual. And yes, yes. And I think that's where you know our our American love of comic books really translates well into Asian cinema. Right, right. Well, I mean, and yeah, and Hollywood ha- and Hollywood cinema has certainly become. Er- as stratified as it's possible to get, yes, possibly, probably, and and that that's that's certainly played out uh, even more so over the past like ten or so years. Yeah, yeah, uh, to the point now where I mean, you could you could just you could literally just plop A B C into any given graph, and you would have an American action movie. Mm. Mm. Uh, any action, any American action movie. Mm. Uh, and then I think that follows along certain other genre lines as well. But I mean, that's a, that's a, an entire fucking special show 
yeah. uh, that you could spend yeah, yeah. Oh, an hour could, and a half or two hours talking about. Oh, we could talk out. I mean, we could talk for a week about that every day. Right. That, well, that's when you and I get together for <laughs> docking and uh, and beers. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we can we can take that up. That's when we're um, quote unquote on teat. Yes, that would be on teat. <laughs> Uh, that show would be on Teat, that episode. Yes. Uh, so I got to wonder if, uh, if your boy, Chris Nolan, uh, saw this picture before he decided to run an airplane into a building in Tenet. Um, oh. this is, I know. I, I, I got to believe Chris Nolan likes John Woo movies. Oh my God. Yeah. I have he to, absolutely does. Yeah. I have to, I, I've never really heard him talk fondly of Woo or anything. I've never heard him mention any of his influences, but I guarantee you Woo is one of them. Has to be. Has to be. Just uh, watch, yeah. Just I would, watching... I would bet my bottom teat. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just uh, I would bet my third teat. The uh, <laughs> the uh, the truth is is that uh, I watched Tenet what a couple weeks ago and I right. saw a lot of woo in that. Exactly. No. <laughs> okay, so uh, one of the neater things in this movie is that the the technology to do what they do in the story uh, back then was science fiction, uh, and it's always kind of fascinated me that no one ever refers to this movie as science fiction. Um, yeah, this is definitely it, science it 100% fiction. hundred percent is. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is clearly the near future. And we even get 3D printing uh, going on, which I don't know how prevalent that was 24 years ago, uh, or even if it was a viable process at all. And I tend to think mm. no, because I'd never heard of it until fairly recently. But then again, you know, I've never surfed the, the sort of crest of the zeitgeist, uh, so to speak. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, so that, that, you know, comes up in the movie. Uh, and then there, there's the, the great uh, angle of the, the prison with the magnetic boots uh, is also really clever. Uh, and I'm kind of amazed that no one has ever really tried that in real life. Uh, well, and b- because it also has the, the very clever aspect of uh, being like an opiate institute yeah. uh, with the nature videos on loop, the shock therapy, the prisoners marching in line like something out of Pink Floyd's The Wall or 1984, that, that old Apple commercial from 1984 yeah. that was based on 1984. That stuff, that prison stuff made me think of science fiction even more than the face stuff does. <laughs> it does indeed because we're not used to seeing prisons like that yes. at all. Yeah. Uh, where we'll, we're willing to accept a medical procedure that's radical uh, or outlandish. We are not willing to accept that there's a prison where people wear magnetic boots where they could be locked down instantly, uh, which is just really fucking weird to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it should Look, be the opposite. So this thing. this movie, I'll just say, you know, I, I, I am willing to suspend disbelief or belief right. for what it goes for. I am. Right. I think right. the biggest problem I have with this movie <clears throat> is the length of the movie itself. I think this movie it is, it is too long. It is way too long, and there's a lot of time where I don't care. Like there is a long scene of Travolta. Well, I guess it's, yeah, it's Nick Cage doing Travolta, talking to Joan Allen about everything. He's. I mean, some of the melodramatic stuff in this is is gruesomely painful to me, right. uh, and I have I still have a problem with that. Again, when it's over the top, I still think all this stuff works, but when it tries to be logical it makes no sense now i will say this is kind of funny i was thinking about this while i was watching it the face-off procedure itself it's funny to kind of watch and you're sitting there putting you're applying logic to it and you're like well first of all this none of this would work but <laughs> we do know now that there is face transplants right i mean yes. that is yeah. a thing dude they and, grow a fucking ear on a fucking rat yeah or so, a mouse or so we know that these things can happen but here's here's the biggest problem i have with the face-off scene itself is that the right time to be given a character a haircut? Uh, well, yeah, because you got to match him, right? <laughs> I guess, man. But it seems like 
you know, you're cutting my face off. I don't want you cutting my hair because that hair is going to get into that wound. Well, you got to get that fucking Nero hairdo that uh, Cage was was <laughs> yeah. rocking, I, look, right? I'm, I'm all John, for it. Uh, Travolta was way more in the in the uh, the mullety yeah. sort of. Yeah, yeah, thing. Uh, yeah. I'm with the blowback look. I'm all for it. Yeah, I am. I, seriously, I'm all I'm all for it. But I just seem like it seems to me like you would have wanted that to heal first. I mean, I don't know a lot about medical procedures, but it seems you don't to me, want hair getting into a, into a suture. I don't think in most uh, in most no, procedures. No, yeah, I don't think yeah. so. That's a no no. <laughs> but I just thought to myself, wow. And, and and what's funny is to me is that's what I pulled away from it. Like I didn't even pull away from the fact that it was so <laughs> ludicrous that they're cutting somebody's face off and they're putting knows that they're cutting their fucking hair while they And do you know, it. you can put I'm looking at, you know, Henry Fonda's face right now because I'm talking to you on Skype. So I'm looking at Henry Fonda and Once Upon a Time in the West, yeah. which is an avatar you've used forever and I use Charles Bronson. So we both yes, uh, clearly we both love We're Once both Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> yeah. Clearly you are the Henry Fonda of Once Upon a Time in the West and I'm the Charles Bronson. So <laughs> I'm looking at that right now and I'm thinking, okay, let's cut his face off, put it on mine. Will I look like Henry Fonda? I sort of will, but I, because of bone structure and everything else, I won't completely. So no, it would be the same thing as wearing a Don Post mask yeah. of Henry Fonda. So then it gets into the conversation that is both immature and hilarious, and I got to bring it up. And good friend of the show, Brad from Over Not a Bomb, is going to love this aspect of it. But now we got body type differences uh, <laughs> and everything else. Okay. And and at what point? Look, every hundred percent. Every every dick is unique. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. My dick is not the same as your dick, Todd. As much I don't as we, know about that, buddy. as many times, to, well, you put yourself on. Could you do? Could you as, share that? As many times as we've, oh no, as many times as we've docked, I can tell you, it's quite different. But I know, right? the, the the important thing is here, you know, you got to suspend all that belief because, you know, the nipples on me are not the same <laughs> as the nipples on you. Yeah, they're nipples, <laughs> but your nipples are different. Your nipples might, you look like dry erasers. My nipples might look like. Uh, <laughs> Am I like a rubber band? You know, I don't know. Depends on my time of the, the time of the year or how much food I've had. I don't know. I, I mean, my teats aren't your teats. You know what I'm saying? No, they're definitely. <laughs> I might wow. have the northern teat. You might have the I southern going, teat. Yeah, I was going to say we're going southern teat on this one. In the southern teat. <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nashville. Cross, yeah, Crosby, Stills, and Teats. Southern teat. Yeah. So, I definitely, the older I get, I definitely am getting a really strong case of the southern teats. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing is that, you know, yeah, obviously. And yeah, Joan Allen doesn't notice that. Um, I mean, know. dude. So that gets into another part of the conversation. Everybody fucks differently. Everybody yeah. does so. Movement is a key. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All these things. So you really have to suspend so much belief for this movie, and I'm cool with that. <laughs> uh, I'm cool with it. I'm willing to do all that ridiculousness. I'm willing to go for. It's it's when, and this is my argument for the movie, and my argument against the movie. If I have any problems with it, it's when it tries to be real that it totally loses me. And usually, that's the opposite in most cases, right? Usually right. it's when things go over the top that things can lose you. But for me, when this movie is real, like real emotion, real melodramatics, real teat, it is <laughs> it it it's spoiled for me. But when it's when it's completely ludicrous and makes no sense whatsoever, I'm all in. I mean, I'm all in like on Nicolas Cage's performance. I'm all uh, John Travolta's having a blast here. Oh, I yeah. mean, he's having a ton of fun. You know, wee you good looking. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's having a blast. It's an opportunity for him to overact 
and to well, do that kind of stuff. That's that's one of the huge things <clears throat> that makes the picture work for me is my appreciation of uh, the Cajun Travolta performances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you could say what you will. I think about the thespian limitations of either one of them. Uh, I think you genuinely see the mannerisms of these two guys in their performances. Uh, and I think it's a lot of fun watching them, you know, both be each other as well as, you know, hiding that they're actually the other guy. Um, yeah, they're trying to do I impersonations just, of each other, which is pretty good. Right. And I think it, that that really, I think, makes this movie work a lot better. Uh, it, it kind of invigorates it a bit more. Uh, that's something a little bit more standard. I know, Bear. I agree. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, and then there's other actors in this, like Joan Allen, like uh, uh, Cassavetes, like Gershon, uh, who are essentially ciphers, uh, though I think that you really kind of feel Joan Allen trying. Um, and they just kind of contribute plot devices and nothing else. But, I mean, uh, that's the the central thing in this thing is what's on the poster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, It's Nicolas Cage and John Travolta being... Nicholas Travolta and John Cage, mm-hmm. uh, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that works for me. I, I think another problem I have, you brought it up, I, I don't like, I mean, I like Nick Cassavetes. I like him as a filmmaker, and I like him as an actor, <laughs> but I don't need any of that. No, no, it's horrible, and it's it's painful. Yeah, no, it's, I, I don't need painful. any of that. It, 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 it leads to a plot device and an action scene, yes. and it leads to a... A discovery that Castor Troy has a child, so now that changes right. the dynamic of this of this story a little bit. Right. But I think you could have done that in one small scene, and you don't need Nick Cassavetes in this gigantic loft that looks like it's out right. of a Highlander movie, and <laughs> you know you don't need all that stuff. That, no, so I don't think you'd... that that those moments are where this movie just feels in, incredibly bloated to me. It just feels like yes. way yes. too much. I yes. think at its core. John Travolta versus Nicolas Cage is amazing. Yes. But I think everything around that is, for me, it's pretty weak. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you on that. Uh, so, you know, another aspect of this movie that's uh, that's weak is that the, the screenplay uh, for this movie is, you know, let's be perfectly honest, it's fucking garbage. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, it's not on a Rob Zombie level. But no, it even, comes close several times. No. I mean, the dialogue—the dialogue here is atrocious. Like oh when, my god! Uh, like when Cage is yelling at Travolta to watch his fucking mouth, or the the line "How's your dead sh- uh, sunshine?" Yeah. Uh, or or Caster, you know, awkwardly hitting on and lecturing the Dominique Swain uh, character. <laughs> that et is, etc. etc. Et that is an awkward moment. The uh, right that doesn't play so well in today's culture. <laughs> Well, and uh, the, the thing that I find kind of interesting there is that Dominique Swain then went on to Adrian Lyne's uh, version of Lolita. Yeah. Right? Which I quite uh, I, I like that version. It's not as good as I the Kubrick I haven't seen version. that one, but I was, I was always interested in watching it. I think you should I check it out. You'd probably like it. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, and then you get the, 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 the whole mawkish sentimentality thing that's personified by that weird-ass, you know, you got to mention it, the weird-ass face-wiping gesture that's simply bizarre. <laughs> I mean, man, no matter how close I am to somebody, no matter how close I am to somebody, not even when we're docking, you and me, I have never done anything like that as either a sign of affection or as a greeting. I mean, it's like fucking the nanu nanu of fucking, of, uh, you know, man. personal greetings. The conceit is, is interesting, but the writing, the conceit of the movie is interesting, but the writing is so clumsy oh. uh, that it makes it hard to get into in some ways. And it certainly makes it difficult to love, I think, especially in retrospect. But that, that face thing. Yeah. Oh my 
God. I think I'm okay with the time he does it for his son in the beginning of the film because that seems like it something. It, it makes sense as a one-off. It does yeah. not make sense as a habit. Yeah. It makes sense as a one-off, but not a face-off. That's correct, Todd. Exact, exact mundo. But you're it's, right. It's, it comes back uh, three or four times, and uh, I think uh, for a friend Brad of the show, he calls it face waterfalls is what he called them. <laughs> but it, well, you should go chasing them. Oh, my God. They are. the. It is... Every time it happens after that first time, I laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah, you can't help it. It's, it's so fucking stupid and ridiculous. It's one of those weird things. As much as I love John Woo, and I love him, I really do. I mean, I loved Red Cliff 1 and 2. I haven't seen anything past that. But, no, neither uh, have I, but I did like Red Cliff. Yeah, I, I love John Woo. I think he's one of the great directors, honestly, of all time. I think I really do. I don't know if he's top 10 for me or top he's 25. There. He's up there. But I love John Woo. He's amazing. And I will always love John Woo. But sometimes his decisions in movies, from everything, from hard-boiled to the killer, from masterpieces he's made, yeah. sometimes the decisions his characters make in their movies, I, I don't know what I don't know what he's smoking <laughs> or what he's drinking or what the hell's going on because some of the character moments are just so uncomfortably awkward. Yes. That well, I think I think that's it. that's in his. I think what that is, if I'm being a hundred percent, you know, honest about it, I think that's him aping Melville, aping American cinema. Hmm. I think that's his. That's those things through Wu's filter, and I think that he took he took certain things about, and I think that there's something that he he caught out of that 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 hit him as being like the thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I think that then he tries to, he tries to kind of force that into his movies uh, for better or worse. Okay. That, and so, then when I think, and then when I think when, when you then re unfilter that back into, you know, as an American uh, moviegoer, mm -hmm. then I think that it just doesn't play. Yeah. And I, I couldn't tell you whether it plays to uh, a, a Hong Kong audience or Chinese audience or an Asian audience. I couldn't tell you. Uh, um, obviously, because I don't have that experience. Yeah. But. I would have to believe, though, that it, it might play to an Asian audience better because, you know, when, when I think about might. Asian cinema, there is sometimes... I you know I used to chalk it up to cultural differences, but I sometimes think there's just some differences that directors there use that the melodramatics or the right. But even gestures. but even then, I think there's there's certain there's certain aspects of of these of uh, specifically John Woo movies that just you don't see in other Hong Kong movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I tend to think that it's just kind of like eh, he's maybe he's interesting because he's almost on an island of his own amongst really Hong Kong yeah. filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, I mean, and, that, and that you know, with all that in mind, 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 mind. So there, your uh, uh, your uh, pronunciation of mind is. Let me so let me tell you, tired it's off, it's off teat. <laughs> <laughs> My fucking head is off teat right now. Um, so yeah, I I thought then, and I still think now, uh, that Face Off is a hundred percent John Woo's American masterpiece. Hmm. Uh, and this was a conversation that I had with a friend of mine uh, back when it first came out. And we both agreed on it, um, but I, I I absolutely think that that's the case, and I think that Wu has forever been uh, a phenomenal visual stylist. But I think that as a dramatist, he's forever been not so phenomenal. So you know, I I forgive this film a lot, and honestly, far more than I should. I think because I think that the action, which is you know thankfully uh, plentiful, is genuinely I think about as thrilling as anything that he ever did in Hong Kong. Uh, all, uh, although that uh, you know, I also think that 
the more handmade aspect of the 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 earlier movies that he did uh, I think lends a lot more to their charm and to my appreciation of those as well uh, if that kind of makes sense but to me face off is really kind of it's it's um it's John Woo like writ large right and yeah. I, I I get a lot out of that yeah. I, I as a film goer as a, a cinema lover I get a lot out of that and I think that this is as technically virtuosic and I don't even know if that's a word virtuosic I think so, uh, I think so. but uh, I think it is as technically virtuosic as any of his movies were just with a massive budget hmm. uh, as opposed to the stuff that was a lot cheaper that he made over in Hong Kong yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah I mean the, the movie doesn't really hold up in a lot of ways uh, I, I, especially now um, but I think that, you know, the same things that bothered me now bothered me then as well. And as I said, you know, I do forgive this thing a hell of a lot. I mean, I still love right. the action sequences in this thing. I still loathe, uh, a lot of the drama. Although <laughs> yeah. again, you know, I think that, you know, people like Joan Allen, uh, really carries a lot of water. Oh, she's uh, good. She, all the, she, yeah. She does everything that she can yeah. to elevate an absolutely thankless role she's, on screen. She's in a totally different movie. Oh, absolutely, she is. Like and, you it, know, I. It's unbelievable uh, how much different her performance is compared to everybody else's. I mean, it's, it's like what? <laughs> I yeah, mean, she's it, she's really trying, man. Yes. She's yeah. she she took her check and she fucking earned she earned every fucking penny what she got paid. Yeah, I totally uh, agree. She should have gotten a hell of a lot more, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, I I still at the end of the day, I still feel bad that in a way, I feel like you know, America ruined John Woo. And all the Hong Kong directors that came over here in the '90s, uh, and maybe that's all in my head. I don't know, but yeah. uh, that's that's where I place this movie. So yes, I, I mean there are there are problems, in it, and it it really is too long. But I mean that's also kind of, and I think we're going to see that in uh, in an upcoming show uh, with another action movie, which I think is entirely too long. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's because that's almost the nature of once you get into these elaborate action sequences. If you're going to take that much time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to do those things you need to either cut uh cut out story um or you need to incorporate story and yeah. I, if you can't do both um then maybe you shouldn't do either yeah uh and i, I think that that's kind of the problem here uh but yeah i i mean well it's certainly the problem in 90s action movies i mean we can oh, 100% yeah. we can talk about american i mean and we're going to talk yeah, about and another been, and let's be, let's be perfectly honest we've been entrenched in the 90s for a little while on the show now yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, uh, been, we've we've really been hitting the nineties hard. Yeah, we have. We've been hitting the nineties pretty hard lately. But I mean, you know, or worse. that's thirty years ago. So I mean, it's 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 fine to hit it. Um, oh yeah, I'm not I, saying it's wrong. No, I'm just oh. saying that you know it's been it's been uh, noticeable how much we've been hitting it. Yeah, I think it's just I think the kind of the kind of run we're on right now. But yeah, the yeah. Oh, the thing about the nineties is it, it it became the decade where I realized that every film, every action film, they felt like they had to have three action set pieces. They had to have an intro, they had to have a mid-action sequence, and they had to have a closer. Yes, and absolutely. I don't think necessarily great well, this, action this was cinema. The time, this was the time, you got to remember, you have to remember that this was when uh, stuff like Sid Field uh, and Robert McKee really became popular mm, mm. in terms of in terms of screenwriting and in terms of what Hollywood was you know was happy to go along with. So they became the formula. Yeah. And their formula was by this page you have to have this beat. By this page you have to have this beat. So that's when we started to see this happen more and more and more. So while uh, while on the one hand you had the the hot, the whole indie schmindy thing going on uh, with guys like uh, Rodriguez and Smith and and all those folks. Uh, 
at the same time, they were still doing the exact same thing that Hollywood was doing. They were just doing it on a micro budget. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Uh, with, with some exceptions, obviously, but by and large, that's what it was. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, so once you get into that, that aspect of it, I mean, that's how, uh, how to say this. That's how I look at it. That's uh, because I think that's that's why we started to see this happening so much more. And then, okay, so once we get once we get to this, the, and this is what I was saying earlier, uh, is you know it's it's this stratification that we got in Hollywood, and it, it was all it was all you know it happened. You can watch the progression, and the '90s was a big part of that progression, um, because you know they stratified it a little bit more. Then in 2000 they stratified it a little bit more. In the 2010 they stratified it a little more, and now you know you have what you have: um, democracy in action. Sir. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, and I won't uh, get into that. But I was looking uh, back. That's that's all that I have to say on the movie itself. So. Yeah, I was looking back through uh, everything we've reviewed lately, and actually, you'd be surprised we haven't really done that much '90s stuff. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was. It I was, just feels like it because they're so painful. I well, I think it's just because we've done so much recently. Because you think about well, you yeah, think about yeah. Math of Madness, you think about something else we're going to be doing next week. You think about yeah. this and. Uh, and then I look. I mean, Doom Asylum's eighty-eight. Uh, and then, close enough. <laughs> well, uh, Mexican Ninja and Total Recall are nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you got to go. I mean, well, Night Flyers ninety-seven. Yep. But then you got to go all the way back to the Gate Two, which is ninety. And then, man, you go back even further. Before, wow. Yeah, you'd be surprised how little ninety stuff we actually do. I th- I'm kind of surprised at how little ninety stuff we actually I do. Think we need to cut back, <laughs> and then you got to go all the way back to Pi. That's oh, in '98. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but then we did, you know, Batman Returns. I mean, we've done our fair share. But I, 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 looking through the dates though of the, uh, you know, my notebook and stuff, we really do mix it up quite well. I think we do. We try. Yeah, yeah. And we're one of the few shows we try that patience. I think far more than we're one of the few podcasts else, but... out there anymore that covers anything from uh, pre-60s. I mean, that, you just don't. There's just not a lot of podcasts out there covering those kinds of films anymore. Well, yeah, I think that that's again, that's one of those things that I think you could have an entire discussion uh, for an entire podcast about. Yeah, uh, why that is. I, I think it's kind of sad uh, that there's not more discussion. I think about it's pre-season. extremely sad. Yeah, uh, quite frankly, but I mean, it is what it is, and that's yeah. why you know, I kind of feel, I kind of feel like. I, I want to do more stuff like that myself, and I, I will always push for stuff like that. But at the same time, I always feel like people don't really care about that stuff. So it's just like, well, well, yeah. If I'm the only one who cares about it, then yeah. I'm really just wasting my breath. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I, I see the numbers and stuff. I mean, I, so. I would like to be able. To, I would like to be able to, to turn more people on to stuff that's you know pre sixties, sure. obviously. Sure. And and there is one uh, uh, what I consider to be a pretty heavy hitter that I've planned, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, by that same token, it's just like, eh, yeah, what you know, are you going to do? I mean, I, I pay attention to the numbers, and I can tell you. I can you only that, bring a horse to water. Yeah, I can tell you that if we do, like, double 50s or double 60s, a lot of times people do not download the show. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. you know, if people aren't going to listen, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm more than happy to just sit here and talk to you with the, about that shit. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, because because obviously I don't know what the downloads are, and quite frankly, yeah. I couldn't give a shit if one person downloaded yeah. the show. I well, know. I mean, I can just uh, but you know the core audience will always be the ones the that will listen to everything. Time, you know, we do, I think that there's there is certain there's a certain uh, and I not to I don't want to I don't want to give more weight to what we do than there is but there is a certain aspect of of what we're what 
why we get up this fucking early in the morning to begin with. That is about, you know, trying to, I, I hesitate to use this word because it sounds like snotty and, and snobbish, but enlighten uh, people to, to things that they, they, you know, might miss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Our, that that uh, you know that becomes you know stuff that was made before you were born, before I was born, yes. before everybody that listens to this show was born. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, there, there's that's, definitely you know, that's, that that's still you know cinema didn't begin in in 2000. It didn't begin in the 80s. It didn't begin in the 70s. Uh, so I think that you know we we need to we should uh, try to to pay as much respect to that as we, as we can. Well, I mean, for me, it's always been about, it's not just enlightening. It's the, this, the sharing. I mean, it's the, it's the, Hey, hey, you know, if you've ever seen, you know, a Jimmy Cagney movie, if you've never seen, uh, you know, a Paul Muni movie, I mean, you know, Buster Keaton or, you know, any of that. Yeah. And then, then, you know, I I think all that stuff should be celebrated. All that stuff. Um, all right, let me, uh, run through a few things here. I've said quite a bit, my piece on uh, face off, so I'm on the other side. Let me just say that I'm on the other side of the equation that you're on. Uh, not not in that I, I don't despise this movie, and I probably liked it more this time than the first time I saw it. Uh, I still think the movie's way too long, and I still think it's way too uneven. I agree uh, with you on that. Uh, I, for me, it doesn't work as John Woo's masterpiece, American masterpiece. Um, but I can see your argument. I can see it. For me, I don't know what his American masterpiece would be. Uh, because his other films are so good, I do like Hard Target quite a bit, but I like it for what it is, which is a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, and it's a little bit ludicrous. And uh, Well, it's almost like everybody, all the Hong Kong directors that came over here had to go through a Jean-Claude Van Damme filter. Yes, yeah. Because every one of them made a fucking movie with the guy. Yeah, it seems like it, yeah. And some of them are better than others. I mean, there's a couple of good Ringo Lamb, Jean-Claude movies, and uh, obviously I think Hard Target is one of Jean-Claude's best movies, although I think... Honestly, his accent is so terrible in that movie that yeah, he bad. almost he almost ruins the movie himself. But I think that it's a well, still... actually his uh, his in hell, uh, which was Ringo Lamb. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really good, good. Yeah, that's a good one. And there's a he did a Choi Hark film. Choi Hark did a film with him too that I I like. I don't think it's one of the although I think Choi Hark did do the double team and the double yes. awful movies. But I think I feel like there's another Choi Hark in there that he did that I think might have been the Natasha Hendridge Hendridge one. Oh, that might be. Oh yeah, Maximum Risk. Yeah, that might no. be that might be Ringo Lamb too, though. That's Ringo Lamb. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look at that, and I don't. It's too it's too early to go looking for that kind of stuff. But <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of these guys came over, and you know, they're going to give them that. You know, that's what they're going to give them, and yes. you know, they can either make or break that. And sometimes, you know, you get a little nice, little good, solid B movies out of that. Sometimes you get nothing, and they go back. Uh, John Woo survived it, but uh, he didn't survive. I don't know what he didn't survive. He did Wind Talkers after Mission Impossible 2, which I've never really seen Wind Talkers. I, I own the movie. I've owned it for years, and I've never watched it. Uh, yeah. no, I'll check it out at some point. And then he did uh, Paycheck, which by the time he gets yeah. to Paycheck, which is a great concept. It's a Philip K. Dick concept, and it's a great concept and stuff. I've never seen the movie. but no, I haven't either. Um, you know, people just aren't interested in John Woo anymore, and he just kind of disappears and goes back to Hong Kong, and he makes a few interesting efforts there, and then kind of reemerges with the Red Cliff films. I think, although I, I don't know enough about his input, his output over there when he goes back to know if there's any real gems in between Paycheck and Red Cliff. But I do know when I saw the Red Cliff saga, both of those films, I do know that I was I was incredibly entertained by both of those films, mm-hmm. and I think they're really really solid. And if nobody's ever seen those, if you've never seen those because they look like, uh, you know, Chinese uh, 
you know, kind of uh, old school Chinese films, trust me, they're very John Woo. Uh, <laughs> and they're very good. You should definitely check them out. But this is, you know, also the era. The 90s is also the era of the high concept. Uh, not that it's ever really went anywhere, but I mean, this kind of high concept. Like, what if we have two guys and we <laughs> switch foots and we call the movie Switch Foot? No. <laughs> I would watch this. Uh, yeah, I would too. Um, but, you know, that, that, it works. It works. All the ludicrous stuff, the craziness of this movie, it's all fine. Yeah. It's when the movie tries to ground itself that the movie comes off to me as dumb. Well, and, it's like I said. I mean, he's he's a visual stylist. He's not a dramatist. And right. Like, that's right. that's the that's the fucking that's the problem. Yes. I in wish Hong somebody would have said Hong Kong. This sort of weird yeah. heightened melodrama works, especially since he never really involved himself with women uh, in his in his movies. Where yeah. here, yeah. there's a lot of fucking women in the movie. I wish he would have uh, said, especially you know, central to the to the story. I wish someone would have just said though. Hey, we probably need to dial this back. We probably don't need this whole chunk of movie here. Well, how often do you actually have any fucking yes man in Hollywood say no? Yeah, well, that's true. And he is coming off of, you know, Broken Arrow was a hit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is coming off of that. And so, you know, I I just, I, you know, John Travolta's hot at the time. Hmm. Nick Cage is arguably hot at the time. You got two hot stars. I mean, you it's really a, a no-brainer. The movie makes money. I mean, it's a hit. Um, so, you know, I, who am I to judge? But for me, this is kind of like a Fast and Furious movie. Uh, not, uh, it's, be, yeah. it's better yeah. than that. Oh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I want to make sure I clarify that statement. It's better than that to me. But it reminds me of that ludicrous nature of those movies where I can get on board with that and then sometimes I can't. For whatever reason, I can't get on board with it with cars. But I can get on board with the ridiculousness of dual guns and bombs and super prisons <laughs> and changing faces and yep. all that kind of stuff. I can't get on board. It's amazing what we're willing to to uh, to allow. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's willing what we're what we're uh, what we're willing to uh, suspend. It's also pretty fun to realize I I'd forgotten Tom Jane's in this. Tom Jane's in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Almost, almost unrecognizable. Almost unrecognizable. I agree. And then uh, Joe Bob Briggs pops up for a second. Yep, yep. Which is also interesting. And I was like, is that Joe Bob Briggs? That is Joe Bob Briggs. I had to double check. Mm-hmm. But I still just find chunks of this movie, like, you know, little moments that I find obnoxious. So there's a scene where Dominic Swain's character is getting uh, virtually uh, sexually assaulted in a car. And then Travolta's character comes out and he's going to show how macho he is. I think that scene works for the emotional impact you want and what he's doing. But I think it's pointless to the movie. Uh, I think a lot of that stuff with the Dominic Swain thing even though it's uncomfortable I'm okay with the uncomfortable parts of it I'm more on off like you know her character means nothing to me for the right. movie for huge chunks of it only yep. the only thing she ever means anything for is that first scene where it's like well you change your face every you know it's that's an inside joke you change your face all the time people are gonna you know treat you that way and you change your look essentially and then yes, you know it's kind yeah. of an inside joke other than that, I really think that's a throwaway character uh, through the whole thing. And I just have problems with the movie all throughout like that. There's just moments like the Nick Cassavetti stuff and Nick Cassavetti's gang. Gina Gershon, I love her. She's great. She's great to look at. She's but wasted in this. She's completely wasted in this. I totally agree with you. She's also given a much better performance than the movie deserves. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even, just, she, even she falls victim. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, to the, the, the shitty sort of, the, well, the shittiness, I should say. Yeah. I like the movie. 
I, I do. I, I, I would argue at one point that I would probably have said that I didn't like this movie. But I cannot, where me and you differ probably on this is, I don't think this is Wu's best American movie. I don't know what is. I'd have to go back and look at those. And to be honest with you, I don't think I'm going to be rushing to watch Wind Talkers or Paycheck anytime soon. But, I don't think you should. But, so, okay, for, so from so from the, the four movies that we're even considering... I like uh I like Hard Target the most, probably. Really? Yeah, I like Broken okay. Arrow quite a bit. I okay. think people I think people will poo poo on Broken Arrow quite a bit. I think Broken Arrow's fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I do. Do I think they're better than this? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I well yeah as I've said I I would disagree with that okay. but but I do but think I respect it. but I do think this has his best of the, of those three movies. I think this has the best action scene. I think the boat chase in this is phenomenal. Oh yeah. And you know, knowing enough and being on boats enough in my lifetime, knowing what those guys are doing on those boats, those stuntmen and what they're shooting and everything else, I mean it's a major achievement. Mm-hmm. I don't think that boat scene gets talked about enough. It's it's arguably one of the better boat action scenes I have ever seen in a movie. And uh I'm sure there's other ones out there that are really good, but I mean it's it, it's it's pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say it's one of the best action scenes, if not the best action scene that Wu ever shot in America. I would not say it's his best action scene, even though I don't love Hard Boiled. I probably think the ending of that is probably his best. Um, I like Hard Boiled a lot, but I do too. I have some uh, although issues compared with it. to the, I I personally uh, love the killer more. Yeah, I'm more of a killer guy as well. So 100, percent yeah. Um. But no, I don't get me wrong. I think the movie's a bit of a mess and uh, not what I want it to be, but I did appreciate it more this time around. So at least I came out on the better side of it this time. At least I didn't come. I, my fear was I was going to go into it and I'm like, I didn't like this the first time. I'm probably going to hate it this time. Right. But the good news is, is I don't hate it. I think it's a pretty decent action movie. Oh, baby steps. Yeah, baby steps, right? Um, but yeah, that's all I really got to add. I think we've talked quite a bit about about this thing so I'll we let have you... talked this thing to death so <laughs> yeah make or break uh, I'm going with the finale uh, it's big and it's really fun and maybe more importantly I think that it actually feels like a John Woo movie of old in so many ways um, you almost feel like he could have been more of a player in Hollywood uh, Woo but then again you know I don't know that I would like where that would inevitably lead which obviously was paycheck mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which would probably be you know where it landed anyway uh, or worse Um so yeah, so there's that. Uh, MVT, uh, it's John Woo. Uh, I think that any decent actors could pull off the switcheroo thing, uh, though I think that you know Cajun Travolta do it very well. But I think that Woo makes the action in this movie sing, uh, and strictly in that sense, I think that uh, Face Off is. Uh, I mean, like I said, I mean it's, it's kind of um, an aria uh, in the sense of singing. So yeah. see that? Yeah, see yeah. what I did there? Yeah. yeah. Um, and score for me. Um, I know I'm going to be higher than you on this, and even then, uh, you know, I'm I'm still critical about it. But it's seven point two five out of ten. Yeah, you're not so. as high as I thought you were going to be. Yeah, right. Yeah. Huh? See, yeah. I went fucking east of teat. You did. You did. You almost went south of teat. I. Ah, uh, gotta be careful down there. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> Especially when you're shaving. I mean, what? Huh? Um. Okay, my make or break is also the finale. It's uh, it's a really good payoff. And to an action movie, and uh, one of the better payoffs to a 90s action movie that I can recall. Sure. Uh, and that boat, like I said, those boats, I mean, it's amazing. And even though it is ludicrous, I mean, there's a moment where they hit a solid wall and they go flying, and of course they would be dead. 
but they get up and keep fighting. But it still uh-huh. works really well. And I think part Hulk, of the Hulk's and Hulk's. yeah, I mean the my MVT is going to be Woo as well. But I got to say, I think part of the entertainment value of this movie is almost old school Hollywood. It's like let's put John okay, yeah. let's put John Wayne and James Dean in the same movie. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know it's okay. it's it's that feeling of John Travolta's hot coming off Pulp Fiction and things. Let's put him with a super hot Nicolas Cage. Let's put these big stars. I mean, it's, it's it's a total Hollywood movie. Let's put these big guys in a big movie with a big director, and let's see what happens. And so there is that entertainment value that's there. Now, of course, Travolta and Cage, are their careers are in different spots now, so people, you know, young people now wouldn't quite understand that as much. But at one point, you know, you're, it's, it's essentially the same as, like, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking about big actors right now. It's like putting Tom Cruise and... Uh, Vin Diesel, or uh, what's his face, uh, The Rock. Yeah, Tom Cruise and The Rock in a movie together. Yeah, against each other. That would be, yeah, that would probably be the equivalent of it right now. Um, I can't think of anybody else hotter than those two right now off the top of my head. Uh, Keanu Reeves doesn't really count because he's kind of doing his own thing. But I'm thinking, you know, as far as big movie stars that can open a movie, those probably two, those two are probably it right now. So that's what it would be like. Uh, my score is a 6.5. Uh, I don't think this movie's terrible. I don't. I just think it has a lot of terribleness in it. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. And I I, th- I think it's fun. Um, I just think, you know, it hangs around in spots where it doesn't. It's really saggy. It's really south of teat oh, in some it, spots. Yeah, there's, defi- there's definitely some uh, southern teatness yes, going on. Yes, southern teatness. That's right. <laughs> I can't get the Southern Cross song out of my head since you mentioned it. <laughs> So, I, you know, the only way I'm going to be able to get the song in my head is at some point today I'll be listening to uh, Southern Cross. I know I will. <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't even like that as song. As it should be. Yeah, uh, no, I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. I mean, I like the vocal medley of it because uh, those three guys could sing really well together, but I just don't like that song that much. I remember that video. Isn't it like a ton of aerial views of a boat? Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, because that's what the... That's what the song's about, right? I, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I'll go. I'll go. But I think I like the second wind video more. Um, <laughs> speaking of music I, videos, that, I would have to disagree. No, nah, well, you're probably right. Uh, but six point five, I still enjoyed it, and uh, it was a pretty good time. And yes, Brad, the dicks would make a difference. I'll get that out there for Brad. <laughs> um, but no, it, it it was fine. I just I think I'm more of a hard target, broken arrow kind of guy than I am a uh, uh, face off guy. And then Mission Impossible to me is it's it's a John Woo movie, but it's also a Tom Cruise movie, so it's kind of its own unique animal. Okay. So, and like I said, I haven't seen Wind Talkers and Paycheck, so I can't speak to either one of those. Exacto mundo. Um, all right, that's the big show. We hope everybody enjoyed. Uh, Arrow's got a sale going on right now. You know, we did Arrow video release Doom Asylum this week, so please go out there and buy some Arrow videos. Uh, if you buy from Arrow site itself, tell them that the gentleman's got to be nice in them send you. That always helps us out a little bit. Uh, and that would be great. Uh, Todd, what are we doing uh, next week? I have no idea. <laughs> you kinda, uh, hey. We are doing Sailor Suit and Machine Gun from 1981. Yes. Uh, on my end. So I, I'm surprised that this actually got remade in 2016. How about it? Yeah, because I was looking around for it, and I found a 2016 version as well. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure the version he wants me to watch is 1981. Correct. And, and that version, for those of you who want to play along, is available uh, with subtitles on YouTube. Yeah, looks pretty good on there, too. And, yeah, it uh, does, actually. It's not a, it's not a bad... Uh, I'll give everybody a bit of a taste. I was surprised by that movie. It is interesting. Yes, 
I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just say I was surprised. That's all I'll say yes. for now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to stick in the 90s, as we uh, said we do nowadays. But uh, this is really it wasn't intentional. It was really just a... So I'm a big-time physical media collector. I collect a lot of movies. I buy a lot of movies. So a lot of movies I don't ever open. And they just sit around and sit around and sit around. So I had I went back. I went back in my stack of stuff, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago. And I uh, was like, wow, what? I need to open some of these up and watch them. Uh, I see posts all the time with people talking about disc rot and everything else, and I'm always worried about that. Uh, and I have these movies just sitting around for ages. So I was like, well, I need to watch something that I have. You know, in my head, I'm justifying it as I'm finally opening it. Now watch the disco go bad because it's been exposed to something or something. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to watch this and rewatch. Again, this is a movie I've only ever seen once. So uh, I did a rewatch of it. I'll just be for, I'll, we'll talk about it next week. But it's uh, Cliffhanger from Rennie Harlan, 1993, once Sylvester Stallone starring Cliffhanger. I just wanted to revisit that and check it out. I'm in a I'm in a big time revisiting phase right now. Of you are yeah, this stuff I've seen one time and I'm like, did I really like that? Why did I buy that? Maybe it's a maybe it's a uh, buyer's remorse thing I'm going through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could maybe. be. It could be. But that's what we're doing next week: cliffhanger and sailor suit and machine gun. Uh, again, Todd told you sailor suit and machine gun is on YouTube, uh, in dubbed uh, or uh, subtitled, not dubbed. Um, so you can definitely watch it there. Uh, and Cliffhanger should be readily available somewhere. Uh, it is on Amazon. There you go. Uh, for four bucks, yeah. I think. Well, it's, it's readily available everywhere, probably. It's probably cheap yeah. to buy on Blu-ray still. I think one of the reasons why I bought it, I think I bought it for like eight bucks. Some sell. I guess, well, I'll talk about it next week. I don't need to talk about it now. Um, I think that's everything. Uh, we hope you guys are enjoying yourselves out there, being safe, uh, having a good time, and staying on teat. And we will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 